1: It's the Son of a Butch podcast. We come to you every Wednesday. This week's guest, Dennis McDade. Um, I was down in Australia a couple weeks ago and got to spend some time with Dennis. Um, He's one of the best golf instructors on the planet. um, On the advisory board at the Titleist Performance Institute, but um, I think he's most known currently right now is he's the coach for Mark Leishman. He's done a great job with his golf swing, but. He, to me, is at the forefront of junior golf development. And that is a lot of what this pod this week is about, having an opportunity to sit down with Dennis and pick his brain about junior golf, junior golf development, how he works with juniors. Um, He has been at the forefront of junior golf development, helped the guys at the Titleist Performance Institute, Dr. Greg Rose and Dave Phillips. Dave's been on the pod as well um, numerous times, but really helped kind of, redesign their TPI Junior program, and 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 it was a game changer for me. Um, it, it's completely changed the way that I teach juniors. We get into um, how to teach juniors, what to look for. Um, one of the cool things about getting to travel is you sometimes run into people that you don't see on a regular basis. Dennis lives down in Australia, so I see him a couple times a year. But being down in Oz, got to sit down, take a deep dive into junior golf development, junior golf instruction. So if you're a junior golfer, um, if you have junior golfers in your life as coach or as a parent, um, and if you're a junior listening, um, this is a great one. And Dennis, like I said, he is at the forefront of junior golf development. So I think everyone's going to get a lot out of this. Sit back and enjoy listening to Dennis McDade. Dennis, you and I've known each other a long time. Um, for those listening that don't kind of know your background, obviously you coach Mark Leishman. You've worked with a ton of players. You're on the your senior advisory board at, at the Titleist Performance Institute. We had Dave Phillips on a couple of weeks ago after John Rahm winning. Um, definitely want to get into that. But for everyone listening, kind of tell your background and how you got into golf and golf instruction. Yeah, well I was uh,
2: I was when I was a much younger person, human, I was a competitive swimmer. So between oh, the age of that. yeah, there you go. So between the age of I'm going to say 8 and 13 to 14, uh, I was a competitive swimmer. It was a it was an outdoor pool. So we trained sort of spring through summer and autumn and then winter there was there was no swimming because of an outdoor pool and to be honest like there were, I got to the stage where it was really hard to jump in the cold pool at the start and the end of the season, right? So, so Dad, who was a Scot, um, played a, a bit of golf, and, and then during winter, I started going out with him and just at the local municipal course, you know, and, um, and got the bug, and- um, What did and, you like about golf at an early age? What I really liked was just the interaction with the other juniors, so in a, so where I was in Victoria, which is in the south of Australia, um, juniors at a golf well, first of all, you could join as a junior, secondly, you could play in competitions even on weekends, you could play in club championships, but every school holiday, now my dad was a construction foreman he'd drop me off at the course on the way uh, dropped me off at the course on the way to work and he'd picked me up on the way home, and so I just spent my holidays. At the golf course with my buddies, and I really that really appealed to me that that social side of things, and you know, being able to play in practice with you know people my own age, and then the the actual game the actual game got me, you know. And from a young age, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a tour player, you know, <laughs> so, like it's all right. And um, obviously, the fact that I'm sitting here talking about coaching says I'm a failed player, but. But um, no, that was at the start of me. It just golf hooked me really, really quickly. It was, you know, like for all people, it was frustrating. But it hooked me really quickly, and I just ended up, you know, devoting my, my life to trying to be a player. And then one of the things that I'm thankful for is is um, the the PGA professionals who I served my traineeship under. I think they called assistants in the US. Yes, assistants, yep. Yeah, they were both. Um, they. Both. so it was Bruce Green at Royal Melbourne and, and Bob Spencer at Keysbury Golf Club. The two guys that I worked under, they both encouraged me to coach. They said, "Hey, this is definitely part of being a PGA professional. You need to know how to repair a golf club. Remember, yeah, when you yeah. Had to repair yeah, a yeah. golf club, Look, that sort I, of thing.
1: I, I yeah. took persimmon heads, there you, go. you know, washed, yeah. them, you know, sanded them down, yeah. learned how to re wit yeah. the yeah. the shaft. Yeah. I mean, those are those are yeah. bygone days.
2: Yeah. Well, I explained to my son not that long ago what it meant. Because I still say I oh, got it out of the screws. Right? Yeah, right <laughs> because, out of the screws. Because the inlay had uh, had screws. We're also setups.
1: Dennis. We're also um, dating ourselves. So everybody listening, yeah. are going, damn, <laughs> these guys are really old <laughs> wooden golf clubs, and you didn't just go buy them and get shafts and
2: <laughs> no, and you didn't you didn't change your driver every year and that sort of thing. But anyhow, so so both my um, my bosses were great. They encouraged me to coach and 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 I knew before I finished my traineeship that. If things didn't work out as a player, I was going to be a coach because I really enjoyed the social interaction of that as well. Like it's it's a real you know relationship sort of thing. So so when um, I played in Australia for probably three years or so, and then started to go down the path of coaching, and um, my first coaching job, I taught golfers hitting balls into a net at a pitch and putt course. That's where I where I started out. And, um, Everybody's got to start somewhere. <laughs> that's right. It's, so uh, there, there were, yeah. So it was um, that was my start, and um, and I think one of the things I realised pretty quickly is I had no idea what I was doing. So I um, I went and bought some equipment. So back in those days, it was the the big camera, like it had no shutter speed, but big camera took the full VHS tape oh, yeah. in the side pack and um i had a vhs recorder and tv and i used to draw lines and i figured out i still didn't know what i was doing so so it was that point i went and started spending time with some of the better known coaches around melbourne and um to try to learn some more so i'd book time with them and i'd literally take my tapes along and just go hey can i talk to you about some of the clients that i've been working with and get your opinion on what i'm doing and that sort of thing so that's where i I um, I started off with a fairly broad sort of um, stroke with the people I spent time with and then gradually sort of whittled that down to the to the people that I was really getting some, um, what I thought was really good information from. So those people, um, Dale Lynch, who yep. you would know. That Dale is. Lynch was one of those. Dale, Dale coached me uh, a bit when I was playing. Um, Stephen Bann spent some time with. you know, Ian Triggs, like so a lot of different people that I... That I whose opinion I sought, and that was sort of the start of me starting to get a bit more of an idea of what not just the technical aspects of coaching were but the approach and um, that sort of stuff and then anyhow, so I, I sort of I sort of progressed and and you know was coaching full time, and um, to cut a long story short, I ended up i won a coaching scholarship to what was the then australian institute of sport golf program i was by this time i was in queensland up on the sunshine coast, coast coaching a couple of places and i got a coaching scholarship with um with the ais program and and the head coach unfortunately passed away at quite a young age was ross herbert and that was my first taste of of elite a proper elite development program and and i th- i thought i was a pretty good coach and then I got into that program, I thought, wow, I haven't even sort of scratched the surface here yet, you know, and to spend time watching someone who was so skilled, not only coach the plays, but how he structured the program. And then to see, like that was back in, so I did 95, nine, 1995, 1996, so I'm dating myself there a bit, um, but to see the marriage of the high-performance coaching, but also the sports science and the sports medicine, how that all interacted. And then from there, um, Steve Dale Lynch was the head coach and the assistant coach of the VIS program. Yeah,
1: the Victoria Institute the, the of vict- Sport, the, which was, yep. you know, to me is one of, yep. it is a legendary, yep. um, you know, program. It's To me, it's one of the seminal programs yeah. of golf of modern golf development um yeah. you guys kind of were at the forefront coming from australia you know not so much doing it out of the limelight but because all this is so far away um but what you guys were doing was kind of groundbreaking stuff and it mm. was kind of a precursor to what I believe a lot of the US college system does
2: now yeah look there's, there's no doubt in my mind that um that the model that the that the VIS program um, was back then and was carried through for for quite some time um, was one that was was used as a template around the world for high performance development of golfers. There's no doubt.
1: Aaron Badley, Jeff Ogilvy, Stuart Appleby, Rob—all yep. of kind of that the last generation, yep. the kind of pre Adam Scott generation yep. came out of the VIS. Yeah. Um, what was the what was the goal of the of the VIS? golf's program what did you if you had to like sum it up what would you say the goal was
2: well the goal was to produce players who would achieve at international amateur and especially professional levels so the goal was to produce top 100 players in the world or top 50 players in the world and ultimately once you get to that stage you're now in that realm where you can produce major winners as well once you get to that level so that was very clearly a goal was to develop to develop these young you know athletes into world-class players who are winning at, at the highest level. That was clearly the goal. And when you've got a goal like that, you can actually structure a program that's that's meeting those needs. It's not about trying to make them play good for the next amateur event or, or an event in three months. The whole mindset is around is, okay, Well, we've got this, let's say, 18-year-old male coming into the program. It's like, okay, what do we want them to look like in their mid-20s? And everything was structured, working back from being... A world class, you know, an so international kind of, player.
1: So kind of that is the what the Olympic development does in other countries. It just had never really been done in golf before, right? Really hadn't been golf and golf instruction and golf development hadn't been really been treated like, you know, the Russian gymnastic system, yeah. what they do in China, and what they do at all of these elite performance yeah. Yeah.
2: centers. Exactly. So from from our point of view at the at the at the VIS, um, if you look at just the numbers that would be coming through um, the state, if you like, you know the number of of like our numbers are smaller than say in the US. So we structured a program, going well, we're only going to have a finite number of players come through our system. We need to put a program in place that helps every single one of them achieve the highest level possible. So it was it was a it was a very um, high performance, development-focused program. With that goal in mind, that we want these um, juniors and well, not so much juniors, but these um, male and female athletes coming through the program to win on PGA Tour, to win majors, and that was, as I said, that was that was very clearly the goal of the program.
1: Cut to the chase. You're on the the advisory board at the Titleist Performance Institute. I've had Dave Phillips on the on on the podcast number of times um junior golf development um in my opinion you're at the forefront and and I think the things that you did for junior golf development has really kind of changed everybody's way of thinking and I think one of the amazing things and I know you, you said this once um junior golfers were tended to be taught by the lowest person on the totem pole at the club an assistant golf pro who was a trainee he didn't know anything he's basically has a bunch of kids they don't know anything so i remember at a a tpi junior seminar once you said what has happened in the past is amateurs teaching amateurs how to play golf yeah rookies coaching rookies right rookies coaching rookies and that that was so obvious that that was the wrong route to go to produce golfers and try and get them in but that's what Happened for years and years and yeah. years.
2: Hmm. Yeah, it was a real, it was a real after, afterthought. And when you think about, um, the, I know you've been very closely linked with TPI and all the work we've done. Once you understand what needs to be done from, you know, let's say the age of, you know, five through to twenty years of age, you understand just how important it is for our coaches to be highly trained. Like I, there, there are, there's a, there's a huge market around the world to be a, a, a highly skilled. Junior coach, but that was certainly something that was was missing in the era I suppose when when I was learning to play golf it was actually hard to get an experienced coach to give you a golf lesson and it was just yeah rookies coaching rookies and it was just if you sort of it was deep end theory right throw them all in the deep end, whoever swims you, you survive you know so so I think that a big part of what we 've done at Tpi and, and i can't take credit for all of it you know I'm one of, a, of, of an amazing advisory board. Is we basically stood back and just said okay well with what we know about um human growth and development from childhood through to adulthood and what we know about how i suppose you should structure a golfer or a, a, a young athlete who, uh, athlete i'm sorry who comes into your program with no skill how do you actually turn them into an athletic golfer and that was the genesis of the whole tpi junior program and and I think the the other thing that really has changed, too, and it's kind of forced to rethink on the way we coach juniors, is I started playing golf when I was 11. How old were you when you started? Um, Probably younger.
1: No, I, I mean, listen, I didn't really play a lot of golf, but yeah. my my background was I just like to watch my dad give golf lessons. Yeah. So I was trying to figure out the – the instruction side of it and that piece of the puzzle i mean I, i've yeah. said this numerous times and yeah. for a long time as i was embarrassed to say this but i'm not now i was never a, a golfer at any level i didn't play yeah. junior golf i didn't play high school golf i didn't play college golf i didn't play amateur golf golf wasn't cool and i i think this leads into what i what i was going to talk about with junior golf, golf when i was growing up i'm 54 in in about a week's time my dad was a golf instructor he wasn't the person he is today golf wasn't cool when I was growing up even though my grandfather won the masters in 1948 and but in the 80s and 90s golf wasn't what it was now and it wasn't seen as a sport it wasn't seen as athletic Um, so well if you you look at that component what you've just said there so if you look at
2: golfers now I think I used to call it an emerging demographic it's now demographic and that's like the five to ten-year-old junior golfer like they just weren't around when I was a kid no one played golf when they were six or seven or whatever yeah. you'd play or whatever the summer and winter sports were but we now we've got to a stage where I feel I get emails and phone calls going hey I've got I've got a three-year-old uh, when can we sign up for the yeah, program and the it's same just like thing. so it's like well you need to be ready for that because you might not have a three-year-old in the program but you can provide advice around what you do with that with that category of like that age I should say of of junior golfer, but to come back to your point around not being cool and not being athletic, we have this this demographic of um, uh, junior golfer and they're sedentary, so they're not not as active. Like when I got home from school when I was a kid, like I'd unlock the door, I'd throw the school bag inside the door, pull the door shut before Mum could tell me to come do my homework, and they didn't see me till dark, and I'd mm-hmm. be playing cricket in the streets or footy or soccer or whatever it was, and that was our athletic development.
1: One of the things in going to all the, the junior seminars that, that, that I've gone to and, and, and listened to you and Greg and Dave talk, um, kids don't play anymore, right? They don't climb trees. They don't play kick the can. They don't ride bikes. They they get driven everywhere. They sit in chairs. They're on their phones all the time. Yep. And one of the TPI mantras from a junior standpoint has been to create athletes first, mm-hmm. golfers second. We all teach regular people to play golf, right? You have a 55, 60 year old person who's been playing golf their entire life. They're a business person. They don't really do anything athletic. It's very hard to train a non athlete to play golf. And I think one of the things that was just mind blowing to me. And again, it seems it was groundbreaking when you, when you guys came up with it, but it was like, yeah, it's much easier it's easy for me and you to work with tour players because they're skilled athletes that's right. so you can tell them to do things you can mm-hmm. get them to do things yeah. they they can do what you ask them to do yeah. from an athletic physical standpoint the technical side of things that's something different yeah. but having an athlete first yeah. and you know if you get a golfer that comes in and he's in his 40s and he's played multiple sports his whole life, he's in the gym, he's active and stuff. They're much easier to coach and train and help improve than if they have
2: no athletic ability. I couldn't agree more. So I think if they're, and I'm sure there are, like any golf coach could relate to this. You have like a, a, I don't know, an eight or a nine-year-old boy or girl walk into your academy. They've never picked up a golf club. You show them how to hold a club and straight away they go, whoosh, and you just go, my God, I've got a superstar in my hands. Because you're looking at athletic expression, and they're able to pick up a golf club and apply that really quickly. But what a lot of people fail to realize is what's happened before they've walked into your academy, right? They've probably, from the age of since they can walk, they've sampled all these different sports, they're a good all-round athlete and then they can just express that when they hold a golf club and try to hit a golf ball. And if you look at the other side of that, you get that sedentary child that we were just talking about who come in and you go, my God, I'm going to have my work cut out here. And at least now we know, rather than going, my God, how am I going to teach them to play? Like my mindset is straight away, I've got to turn them into a better athlete because if I can turn them into a better athlete, it makes it so much easier for me to teach them how to become a golfer. And one of the things, and you've heard us talk about this, the five reasons kids do sport. Right? Number one, it's got to be fun. Number two, they've got to make, they've got to uh, be able to do it with their friends or make friends. Number three, they've got to feel welcome. So we won't talk about some of the country clubs and what happens around the world. Um, number four, it's got to feel to feel good to do. And the other one is they've got to be good at it. So if you get a young a young um, junior coming to the program, they've got no athletic ability. And they suck at golf, they're probably not gonna hang around too long, right? So so our job is to actually, as coaches, is to, is to recognize that, assess them. We always assess, don't guess, right? We assess and we just go, hey, Jimmy or Jane, there's a couple of holes in your athletic development here. Golf can be a difficult game until we get those, you know, sorted out. But don't worry, you hang with us, we're gonna sort those out, you're gonna be a good player, you know, eventually, however whatever approach you wanna take. But but being able to um, to understand that you're not seeing lack of commitment or ability. You're seeing a lack of athletic development, which just makes it tough as coaches, right?
1: One of the things my grandfather said, and he passed it on to my father and my father passed it on to me. My dad used to always say, it's our job to teach people to play golf, not teach golf to people. Hmm. And I think a lot of what we used to do with juniors is we'd have these lessons with a f- – six seven year old and we'd be trying to give them golf lessons like we give someone who's been playing golf 20 years work on your grip posture stance alignment one of the things that was groundbreaking to me when i watched you all at at tpi when you developed your junior golf cyclone and i'd love for you to talk about that um juniors were you you guys were working with juniors for an hour and kids that have never really they're they've got a golf club in their hand for less than five to 10 minutes of it. Mm. Talk about the junior golf cyclone and how it came about because I know part of that came about with you because I've seen the videos and I've watched how you raised your children and <laughs> the crazy things that your children were doing on jungle gyms where I was, and I remember once saying, it's 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 a good thing you don't live in America because someone would sue you for allowing your children <laughs> to play like that because kids don't do that anymore. But the junior golf cyclone, Talk to me about what that is. So the
2: junior golf cyclone that basically aligns with the fundamentals phase in LTAD, long-term athlete development, and basically our philosophy there is we want to hook these kids on golf, right? Um, So, but if you had a, I don't know, a six-year-old boy and you had him hit balls for an hour and he's not very good, he's probably going to get sick of golf pretty quick, right? He's going to end up really not enjoying himself.
1: Again, that's teaching golf- two people right. that's right this is golf this is how you have to learn it correct and if you can't learn it like that well then golf just isn't for you correct and that's i did that i think everybody that's an instructor at some point that's listening to this if, if you're an instructor you did that at some point yeah. you were saying hey this is golf we're going to teach it to you and if you can't absorb it or do it then you need to find another sport
2: yeah so basically you're exactly right so basically with the cyclone our um, we get together. If I explain what happens, we get together. Um, we have some warm-ups, which are like it's all age-appropriate, right? So it's an age-appropriate warm-up. It's a bit of fun, but there is an intent behind that, and it's developing um, what we call fundamental movement skills. So four categories of that. There's locomotion, anything you used to get from A A to B, the ABCs, uh, agility, balance, coordination, speed. Um, object control, kicking, throwing, striking, punching.
1: I mean, that's another
2: that's, thing that's
1: yeah, huge, hugely important in junior golf development is the ability to kick, the ability to throw, the ability to punch. One of the things that um, that I know that you you guys at TPI came up with that girls versus boys catching patterns the ability to catch an object it's very different in young boys versus young girls that but that is a fundamental pattern of trying to find your body in space how to grasp an object there's so many things yeah. that you're asking someone to do when they throw you a ball but if you don't know how to catch a ball and do that yeah it's very difficult to to progress yeah correct so you can like with what we're
2: talking about here with the athletic development I'll get back to the cyclone in a moment you actually need a child athlete oh I think anyway a child athletic development specialist so the perfect the perfect analogy I would give here with this category of junior with this early age junior is like the the It's primary school in Australia. I think. Do you call it elementary school? Yes. Like yeah, elementary school in the US. Like the sports teacher from the elementary school or from primary school is perfect for this program because that's what that's their specialty. Jump rope. That's their specialty, right? Right. Is is in developing that. So our cyclone, basically, we have uh, a warm up, which and again, it's not just warming up. There's an intent to that. Then we take our our juniors through a number of stations. Okay. And it's all around athletic development, and it's a golf program. So there's some golf stations. So in our um, in our cyclone program, there are four athletic development stations, if you like, and two golf stations. So when I'm talking about a station, there will be an activity in each one of those stations. Yep. So it might be hey there's a target over a velcro target over there um you've got to pick up one of those balls and you've got to throw it at the target keep score if you like whatever that's just an example right and um and what we do in each one of those stations because juniors have different juniors are at different stages of development we can grade the difficulty you know provide a little more challenge back off on the challenge a little bit and then the instructor is in there um, a bit like you spoke about with coaching before the instructors in there providing um some really age appropriate um coaching if you like around you know how to throw better or how to how to you know jump better or whatever it is and then there'll be a couple of golf stations as well and each one of those golf stations by the way it doesn't look like you and i coaching an adult Mm. like there is an outcome-based activity um it's yeah it's very much game-based there might be one point of instruction so i would use the example that um well, I always say this, development sequential. You can't start with calculus if you're learning maths, right? You've got to start with, with all the basics. So we do that in our program. Um, and, and just on that, I haven't spoken about it yet, one of the great things that the advisory board did when we're having the discussions around this, and you've got, you've got the likes of um, Dr. Ernst Swick, who's, a, you know, who's a, a specialist in growth and maturation. Now, what a man he is. Um, Milo Bryant, Greg Rose, Istvan Bali, you know all of these these guys and we've just said hey what's the best what's the best structure for learning in the world we've just gone well it's school right mm-hmm. so if you've got a young child and you take them along to grade 1 there's an expectation as a parent that when they come out at the end of grade 1 they're going to have certain they're going to have been exposed to certain skills
1: certain skills to allow them to go
2: to grade 2 correct and that was our philosophy around structuring the program for the cyclone and and from there was to was going right well what's grade one what do we have in grade one what do we have in grade one from a from a golf point of view what do we have in grade one from an athletic development point of view how do we make it fun age appropriate and have them actually learn something because what we want is we want our um, we want them coming back because we know we need them for like 10 years right we know that it's a minimum of 10 years we need them for to turn them into you know highly competent golfers so that's where we um so the cyclone, again, sort of going backwards and forwards, we start with a warm-up. We run through the stations. The stations run for a maximum of about four and a half to five minutes. So there's no getting stuck in a station for 20, 30 minutes. Because when there's, you're
1: dealing with young kids, yeah. their attention span. But, again, we yep. used to expect yep. a six-year-old yep. kid to be able to focus in a golf lesson, yep. teaching them golf stuff that you would be teaching to a a 45 year old 15 handicapper, and we would get as instructors, you get frustrated because the kid's not listening. But it all now seems so simple in the way that you teach logically the way you would do everything else. Yeah,
0: yeah,
2: exactly right. And, um, and that's the, the, the thing we were talking about rookies coaching, rookies before. I think with what we know now, when I look for a new junior golf coach, I have one criteria and one criteria only, and that is you want to coach juniors. You are absolutely, you, that's all you want to do is coach juniors because I feel like I, I can give you everything else you need. I, I, everything else you need to be a great junior coach. But you I have can to have
1: give, a passion yep, for yeah. teaching
2: juniors. Oh, to a two quick story. I moved from a facility, this is going back 12 years ago, I moved from a, sil- from a facility where I'd built up a big junior program to the other side of town It was like 25 miles away. And we were starting from scratch, and so we ran a school holiday program. So we advertised around all the local, all the local um, pro, um, elementary schools, primary schools, and um, we had a whole bunch of juniors arrive. And I said to the coaches, "I said, right, who wants to be a junior coach?" And they all put their hand up. And I thought, okay, well, I'll give you a run. And um, anyhow, we ran this this junior golf school. And I, what I was really interested in, is what the coaches did in the breaks. So, so I kind of, I kind of kept a bit of an eye on what they were doing, and, and you know they, they kind of had a bit of an idea or not, and that wasn't important to me. But there was one coach who, in the break, like just about every kid in the program was following around. He's kind of looking at him, showing them away, and I've just gone, that's my junior coach because the kids are gravitating to him, and kids are very perceptive, right? If you don't pass a sniff the, if you don't yep. pass a sniff test with the kids, you, you're done, you're out. right? And out of all the coaches, they just hung around him. And I just said, hey, you've got the makings of a junior coach. He said, do you th- he said, do you think, really? He said, I didn't think I knew what I was doing. I said, yeah, but the kids love you. And that was it. So he, he's actually still running my junior program out at Yarraband
1: Public Course. He's just done that ever since. And he's a great junior coach, yeah. Give me, Dennis, for – I know it's a generalization. But yeah. for junior golfers and for junior golf parents, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that we know um, – the worst case, and I know this is the, the worst case for you, the 13 year old child whose parents took them out of all other sports yeah. at six years old. And for the last six years old, the 12 year old has done nothing other than play golf. He's got a beautiful golf swing. Um, he has no real athletic talent. He has no real athletic development. He just plays golf. Yeah. You get those, I get those. Um, I hear all the time, no, no, my son just focuses on golf, just focuses on golf. My daughter, she just focuses on golf. What are the pitfalls that you feel that that can cause with junior golfers and how it can inhibit their development? So the first thing I would say
2: is, and moving – just as an extension of what we spoke about before, like and the structure of the um, the cyclone program from an LTDA uh, from an LTAD point of view, there's a window that needs to be hit, okay. And I didn't mention this when we were talking about cyclone. There's an opportunity to build speed, right? So there are windows of opportunity from the maturation from childhood to adulthood that you and, and the easiest way to explain them for those parents who might be listening is is there a, there are times in that Period from from you know childhood to adulthood, where the body is particularly trainable for certain athletic attributes. So we talk about speed, strength, stamina, skill, um, e- etc. So, um, so what happens when there's been a focus on golf early? You will develop some of those athletic attributes. But you won't develop all of them and as we know nowadays like people are always talking about speed and there are two speed windows like if you focus solely on golf from a young age and that's all you've done you've probably missed that window and that will put a ceiling on how fast you can be if you like when you're an adult what are those speed windows speed windows now different for boys and girls and you're gonna you've put me right on the spot here I'm going to say the first speed window for girls is four to seven years of age, biological age. Second speed window, uh, sorry, first speed window for boys is six to nine years of age and biological age, not chronological age because they all grow at different speeds. And then the second window is at takeoff when they go through their growth spurt. And I'll get this wrong, but I'm going to say it's. <laughs> 13 to 15 for boys I and I think 11 to 14 for girls. It's, it's yeah. like that. It's like when they when they start growing fast, you train them fast, right? That, that's yeah. our thing. When they're growing fast, train them fast. But that would be roughly correct. There might be a few LTAD people just sort of look skywards when I said that. But it's, it's basically there. So, so the and, concept- and I think the – sorry, just to answer your question. I think the danger with developing skills only, you, you get that illusion of success so if you've got a skilled coach training a junior in all the technical aspects of golf, they can go out there and perform at quite a high level as a junior, but they're going to get overtaken by the athletes who also develop their technical attributes along the same time. At some stage, they're going to get overtaken. So they might be the ones who are you know, winning the trophies at a young age, but often they get overtaken. So I think you know, we use the... Um, some of our our research suggests that i think it was three to four percent of age division winners junior age division winners around the world go on to achieve at professional level so in in my mind it's like i don't want what's there's no there's no rush there shouldn't be focus on winning at those age levels there should be a focus on development like even right through to sort of nearly college level right do you think that
1: could be the reason why dennis that um i I guess this is a generalization, but I see more juniors that are better when they're 15 and 16 than they are when they're 20, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And they, they, they're they world beaters. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're winning. They are prolific golfers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that jump from level to level to level. Yeah. And, you know, there are a lot of people playing golf at a very, very high level that are superstars that weren't necessarily great juniors. Mm. They weren't the best junior in their city they weren't the best junior in their state their country um and then you have these other kids you know i always ask tour players hey when you were growing up who was who was the g right who was the best player and who are you surprised that didn't make it um, and every tour player will go, man. When I was when I was a junior, when I was in high school, even when I was in college, this kid was a absolute world beater stud, and they just never made it. Yeah. Why do you think that is?
2: Yeah, that, that's just a such a a, um, a sad scenario where they've played the best golf of their life between 15 and 17, right? Like that says, what 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 the hell did we do wrong, you know? But I I look at that situation I've seen it a lot if you look at so if you take that example of the use before of someone who's focused solely on golf let's say and they're developing those golf specific skills and then they get their growth spurt before everyone else so now that not only have they got golf skill they've got the advantage of some size. early strength and yeah. size right doesn't mean they're they're, they're better athletes um, and at that stage you've got golf specific skill that's been developed with the addition of some some length and and that growth spurt affects everyone differently. Some people, some juniors, hit the growth spurt and they lose their they lose their skill. It's not unusual, and 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 some don't. It's just it affects everyone differently. But I think, um, you know, what happens is a lot of the late bloomers. So if we talk about LTAD, the the ones that that hit their growth spurt late, they spend more time in skills phase. So after our cyclone program, we have our smash program, which is. The um, easiest way to put it is it's like late elementary school age. We always talk biological age, but I'm just trying to give yeah. everyone a bit of an yeah. idea around it. And, and that's from an LTAD point of view, that's skills phase, right? So if you um, hit your growth spurt later, you can have an extra year developing or two developing your skills before you hit your growth spurt, okay? So just remember in our program, although I call it skills phase, you know, you're developing skills around all of your athletic attributes as well. So um, now once those kids get, or those juniors get through the growth spurt and whatever um, challenges that's presented, um, they're better athletes. They're as skilled, if not more skilled, because they spent more time in, in skills phase. And they overtake those those juniors, a lot of them anyway, um, that were, were early bloomers and, and skill specific, if you like, just focus solely on skill. Now, some of them make it, you know they don't all fail, but but with the way the game is nowadays, like we know how much the game's changed over the last sort of twenty to thirty years, um, yeah, it just lends itself to to the ones that are, as we say, athletes first, golf second, love for the game along, build love for the game along the way.
1: What are some sports um, for junior golfers outside of golf that you think are really really important, but also can help develop golfers?
2: That's a great question because you can spend a lot of time being a multi-sport athlete and play all the sports that really don't help golf much, right? So I think the, um, the best sports, to like golf's a ballistic rotary movement, right? So I look at any of the field sports, Olympic field sports, like you know, shot put, discus, hammer, any um, javelin, any of that stuff, I'm just going, yep, yeah, giddy up, let's get in there. That's, that's really going to help. That's rotational. That's rotation. I think things like um, table tennis is really good, like starting to understand spin, reaction, that sort of thing. Um, I really like um, volleyball for vertical jump, and obviously there's a rotation in spiking, that sort of thing. Um, and badminton, I really like badminton as well for similar reasons. Jamie Sawalski, yeah, yeah,
1: um, plenty of, one of the old yeah. world long drive guys. Yep. He was a, yeah, he was a competition yeah. badminton player. Yeah. He and everybody said, you know, the, here's a kid. He was like one of the early long drive guys, but he wasn't big. he, yeah. did, he wasn't a bodybuilder. Yeah. but he was able to create that kind of speed. One of the other ones I know that that, that you've and, and Greg and Dave at TPI have talked about um, martial arts. Yeah, big for golf.
2: So if we, if we, yeah, so I would think if you go backwards just a little bit, say into a, a slightly younger age, say even pre-cyclone, cyclone, I think um, martial arts are great because it's training both sides of the body. Like when you work up and down the jojo, you using both sides of the body. That's the tra- first day you get there, that's trained, right? And there's all sorts of movements where you have to move, you know, stabilize, rotate, throw, kick, strike. There's a whole bunch of stuff there. Um... And then the other thing is um, gymnastics, like um, peewee gymnastics and that sort of thing. That's rolling.
1: Terrific. Yep, I mean one of the things that I know that you all do um, with a lot of juniors, um, and again, you do this in front of. I've actually and I implement now this with junior golfers that are in high school, hopping, skipping, rolling patterns. Massive for learning how to control your body in space, mm-hmm. learning how to accelerate, decelerate. But you'd be surprised. I mean, you'll, you'll watch it. And I do this now. I'll watch a kid and he's trying to play golf. The parents have taken him out of all the other sports. You can see that his coordination and his ability to control the club face isn't really great. And I remember you all doing this at a TPI junior conference once. We got a kind of... Um, a, a ladder that you put on the ground, where you have to, you know, just there's boxes you have to hop, skip, and learn how to control. It's amazing to watch kids that are trying to play competitive golf, yeah. that have no ability to hop from one box to the next box to yeah. ne- things that you did as kids when I was growing up. You hop, hopscotch. Nobody plays those sports. Nobody does that anymore. Those patterns, the running, skipping, jumping, learning how to jump rope, all things that we used to do as children that children don't do today, but are massively important for you as a human being to be able to learn how to control your body.
2: Correct. Yeah. And to some extent, everything you've just spoken about there is what we've put back into our junior program because they're just so critical to like that's the athletic foundation that that our juniors need to to begin to become decent players and we look at we're very specific with what we do so in our cyclone for example we teach them how to sprint like just short bursts everything's fast right because that speed window is open but the movements we have we do skipping because skipping teaches um, dissociation hip dissociation so We have exercises that are in our athletic stations and in our golf stations that teach transition without them holding onto a golf club. Like how do you teach transition and the movement you want to a five-year-old? Well, you better not have a golf club in their hand to be talking about, hey, what I want you to do as you get near the top, I want you to start your lower body firing this. Like you need a game and an activity where they don't even know that you're teaching it right. So we have um, activities, we have skipping in there, we have hopping um and of course you know the ability to to jump and stabilize in a leg hey i think that's in a golf swing and then sliding side to side where you're transferring weight having to stabilize go back the other way stabilize like they're all like it's interesting sometimes you get parents go hey why are you doing this and i'll just say hey in the golf swing you got to do this and and they go
1: oh i get it yeah. cool that's great because one of the things that you do that i've seen you guys do, and we did this as well in our junior um program that we have in dubai um having a a, a young child say, listen, swing this tennis racket, you know, do this for 10 reps. Now take a ball and throw the ball, all right, do that 10 times. Now kick a soccer ball, do that 10 times and- Both sides of the body. Both sides of the body and then say, all right, remember what you were doing when you had the tennis racket in your hand. Now we're going to put a golf club in your hand. It's basically the same type of, and I think because golf has always been taught as is, but- I think back in the day, golf was taught in a way that it was golf specific, right? These were golf specific movement patterns that didn't really have anything to do with the wider athletic movement that you would make in, other, in, in every other sport, yeah. right? So I don't think most people that are trying to play golf realize how much you are asking your body to do in a dynamic movement pattern that's over in 1.5 to two seconds. Hmm we're asking you and you've got 2 feet, 2 legs, 2 arms, 2 hands. You've got all of these body parts that you're trying to coordinate in a very very small window and we're asking you to do that from a completely static position. Hmm. I gave a golf lesson once to a guy that had sold his semiconductor company to the US government and was now a <laughs> I mean, a captain, I mean just made stupid money. And When I tell you, Dennis, he had no athletic ability, he was a scientist, he was a a buffin, right? He just had no athletic ability at all and he wanted to learn how to play golf. And it was just like pulling teeth, it was brutal. And he's sweating and I'll never forget this, he said, you know, the hardest part about this sport for me is I have to start the movement from zero energy. And I just went, what the hell did you just say? It just blew my mind, I'm like, Yeah, because every other sport that you play, you're running to where the opponent is, you think is going or is going, you're throwing the ball to where the, so it's all about, but in golf, we put you in this static position, the ball's on the ground, you're to the side of it, you've got to hold a golf club with two hands, but there's only one golf club. And now we go, okay, now you start the movement from no movement Hmm. and figure out a way to control that. And so I think all of the things that you're talking about that you guys do in these junior golf cyclones are all about trying to get people to understand that golf is just like every other sport you play that's really a rotary sport. Mm -hmm. You're going to get your body to move in a pattern and throwing, catching, kicking, punching, striking patterns are hugely important for motor skill development.
2: And they have, 100% true, and they have a very direct correlation to a golf swing is, like we've, we've said it a couple of times already, but they, there's a great transfer of learning into, into a golf swing. And you know, a lot of the stuff around club phase control, that can be done at a younger age. You know, you've heard us say at the seminars all the time, our goal in the cyclone program is speed. Like we could care less where it goes. Swing it as okay? hard as you want. Let's create some speed. Hey, when we're in skills phase, we'll start to teach a little more around some of that control. Remembering that the, the junior boys and girls who are in our cyclone program, like to some extent, it's the larger muscles that are wired, the, that, that, that brain development and the smaller you know, fine control over the smaller muscles happens later in the maturation cycle. So why are we trying to teach like, awesome club face control here where they haven't actually got control over the bodies yet it's kind of like what you just said before you know it's that that static movement having to control all these things well they, they're still learning to feel their body let alone and and not all the muscles are wired beautifully yet you know that that happens in that in that next phase right with with uh with um, with brain development start laying myelin down, you know, all the different pathways and- I've got a really pathways. good friend- Sorry, getting bit um, off track there.
1: I've got a really good friend that um, used to play professional football, soccer in the UK, Irish guy named Stephen Grant. And after he started playing, after he quit playing golf, um, he decided, he, or after he quit playing football, he decided he wanted to be a professional golfer. He's made it to second stage in Europe and the US a couple of times. One of Roy McIlroy's really, really good friends. You know, he's got kind of a unique golf swing, but the guy's short game is as good as Seve Ballesteros because the way that he would kick a football, the way that he would move his foot to spin the ball in different directions, and he's like a savant with short game. And tour guys play with him, and they're like, bro, your short game is unbelievable. But it all came from his ability to kick a football yeah. and to have it move in a certain yeah. pattern, in a certain way, yeah. and to spin the ball yeah. in a certain way with his foot. He took the exact same thing that he did with his feet and just applied it there you to go. Swinging shots. He's a great shaper of the golf yeah. ball too. He can move the golf yeah. ball a lot of different. Around. He was never really the longest player, yeah. but his ability to control the flight of the golf ball. And he
2: would, he would. I imagine he would see, oh, he would see shots it. like. that And right? his yeah. short
1: game was devoid of technique. Yeah. Like I, I taught him for a long time, and he would go, "Let's go work on your short game." And I'm like, "Mate, your short game is." you don't need to work on that. And he's like, yeah, but I feel like my technique isn't good. I was like, your technique is unbelievable because it works. And he's yeah. like, yeah, but I don't like the way it looks. I said, who cares how it looks? Yeah, it's yeah. so unbelievably functional. But that all came from the way that he was trained. I've been um, lucky enough to meet some of the, um, the polo guys, the um, pierra's boys from Argentina. The things that they can do with golf clubs as a result of the way that they are on horses, their eye-hand coordination in riding a horse, but also using a polo mallet. When I watch them play golf, again their short games are beyond belief because they're riding on a horse at 25 miles an hour, and they've got to nudge this ball at full speed, hanging off this horse, and they've got amazing short games. Yeah, it's, imagine, it's, yeah. it's fascinating to watch that kind of. Crossover from other sports, yeah. Dennis. In 20- and
2: that, that was a little bit. Sorry, just that was a little bit like I spoke about, like table tennis. Yeah, being a great huge. like spins and yeah. figuring out what you do with a racket and your wrist to get the ball to move. Your wrist way. kind of
1: development. Like
2: how many of these guys are here this week? If you took them on a, on a table tennis, court, they just they just wipe you off the, yeah, they're, off the table,
0: yeah. right? They just. Yeah. In 2023, Dennis, obviously the athletes are playing golf. Um,
1: do you think we've reached? I mean, Dave, when I had Dave Phil- Phillips on the podcast a couple weeks ago, we were talking about speed and you know this new rollback of the golf ball. Everybody's saying everybody's going to be hitting the golf ball at you know 200 mile an hour, you know, plus club hit or ball speed. Um, Dave thinks that there's a ceiling that you can compete with speed, right? Um, I think the governing bodies and the wider public just say, okay, speed is killing golf. But the long drive guys, they're not winning golf tournaments. Yes, Bryson went on that run, but Bryson has even scaled back mm. what he's done to him. Where do you think we are in 2023 from an athletic standpoint? But where do you think, what's the ceiling on how athletic this sport, as, golf, as golfers, how athletic can it become?
2: It's a really interesting question so it wasn't that long ago we thought no one would ever break the four minute mile right and now college students do it i think that the way golfers are trained has changed and they're um they're all athletes i don't know whether i would talk about a ceiling um, but what i would say is that it's interesting We, we always talk about speed but not so much about efficiency Because I think you can actually get a golf ball going further with moderate increases in speed by moving more efficiently, like knowing musculature, how it all interacts, how you need to move to create a really efficient sequence. And then if you make that faster, I think the ball's going to go even further, right? So around that, I I think that... um, we probably don't need to open the can of worms around you know, how far the ball goes and golf courses and, and what we're having to do. But I would think that the, the sport's fundamentally changed. I don't see it going back. I think, um, I, th- I think the other thing that we need to look at here is speed is one thing, but it's still a game. There's still an art involved here. And I look at the best players and, yes, they've, they've, they're probably within a certain bandwidth of speed but they've got great control as well. And that's, that's where I see it. It's like, um, you know, speed without control or efficiency ain't gonna work out here unless there's some sort of advancement in equipment that I sort of can't see just around the corner. So I think there's a, um, there's a job for all of us to do as, a, as, a, you know, as working around these players and these developmental players, um, you know, in the sports science community and the sports medicine community and, and coaches, you know, high-performance coaches around finding that blend of for this player how does this player need to move you know what is their how does it what does their body need to look like in five years time how do, with their physiology what's the most efficient way for them to move and then how fast can they move that way without breaking down physically or injury wise and have the control they need over the ball golf ball and can we also teach them like your analogy before with the with the the, the guy who the footy guy, know, the footy guy? Can they actually have some control over that as well? Like, how much control do they need in the modern game with with equipment? That's a whole other discussion, right? But that that would be the way I would see it is is just finding what's optimum for each player because for some of them, anyway, I'm probably just going to go over what I just said. But that that's probably more the way the way I, I see things is, is we'll get to the stage where we'll just go, right, how close... Well, I, I know this. If you look at um, look at some of my players, they'll just go, right, what's my max? Where does the ball go when I'm going at max and how do I feel? How far back from that do I back off to get within that bandwidth of distance and control that I want? That's going to be different for every player and every pro- player's program is going to be different, Right. But that's kind of the way I see it with, with my background and the people I'm fortunate enough to work with who are smarter than me. It's just going, right, for this person, with their physiology, this is their most efficient movement. We can prove that on 3D. We can see it in the flight. The player's talking about the control they've got, the strike. My um, good shot, it feels like my good shot's going where it should go. The bad shot, it should be going there. And then just, fig- as I said, figuring out what's the um, what's that cruising speed, where I get that. And that'll be interesting to see whether that bell curve changes over time, yes. right? Because I think that's where we're getting to as a community of coaches and, and, and sports science and sports medicine people is we're just going, can we shift this more this way? Now, they might roll the golf ball back a bit, but that's not going to stop that progression. And I think, importantly, seeking to progress. Like, we're not all going to go, oh, well, they've dialed the golf ball back. Let's just...
1: Let's just stay where we yeah, are. Let's yeah, just stay where we, we are. We won't adapt. Yeah.
2: And the other thing too is is if you look at, you look at you know through history, like I, I look at Nicholas when you know when Nicholas came out, what an athlete!
1: Oh, he's unbelievable. Man, Hit it f- just so much further yeah. than everybody else. Yeah. So Big, it, strong. it's strong. Yeah.
2: It's it's not like the game. It's not like all of a sudden we've got, um, you know, um. Better athletes is not the word. The, the game has always had great athletes. It's just you now we know more about how to create them, I think, and there's more of them. And I think the equipment, the way the equipment is, it's no doubt it's more forgiving. That lends itself to sort of pushing that envelope and trying to move that bell curve a little bit, but ultimately coming down the stretch. It's the guys that can... that have got the ultimate control and that art and finesse. There's still an art and finesse in the game, Gosh. right, in, in all aspects of the game. And, and as coaches, we can't forget that because we live in a very... Data-focused, objective, objective world.
1: Yeah. Lastly, Dennis, in twenty twenty-three, what do you like about golf instruction and, and the direction it's going, and what don't you like, or what do you just, just give? What what are some things that kind of give you pause and go, uh, oh, I don't know about that.
2: Hmm. It's a really good question. So when I first started playing as a junior, no one had a vi- even a video camera. Like I think I was. 19 when I saw him swing for the first time, I was horrified. By the way, because I, I thought I was a mix of Nicholas Ballesteros and Watson, and found out that I was th- nothing like that. But I think, um, I think back in the day, the best coaches, they could look at a ball flight, they could look at the way you were moving, and they could explain to you what was causing that. That there weren't many, there weren't. I don't think there were a whole lot of those type of guys around. I think a lot of them would go, well, we'll just, we'll change your grip a bit or we'll change your ball position or we'll get you to turn more or we'll get you to change this. But I, I think there were there were some really skilled coaches who could, without the use of tech, without the assistance of technology, could work backwards and just go, right, that's what's causing that. You need to do this. And away they went. I think we've, well, I've certainly lived through an era in, and as a coach where there are more and more and more um, Um, you know, equipment now that will provide information around what's happened. Data collection. Data collection. So I see a lot of data collection from a lot of different pieces of machinery.
1: But what are we doing with data?
2: But I'm not seeing a lot of... This is a shocking generalisation, Right. But I don't know too many people who can gather all of that information and do something with it and analyze it. So we we live we've lived in a in a in an era where there's been an explosion in technology and assistance, but I'm not. But there's not a lot of really 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 good data analysts who can like um, process all of that and come up with a coaching um, coaching information. And then you've got to come up with how you're going to express that to the player. So it's and if i use my own experience around that just to sort of define that not just blanket you know um not just a blanket comment when for example 3d first came out i was like i've got to be an expert in 3d yeah i did this you, you we, got a I 12, we, we got a, a point, 12 sensor well, I, amm I,
1: well i bought one as well and yeah. i have, i'm not a biomechanist <laughs> yeah.
2: whereas now whereas now i go you know what all i need is someone who can um look at that see all of that in their mind and go right here's what's happening with all those different parts so the onus on on my on my part is to make sure that i can have a conversation with someone whose world is looking at that sort of thing right and their job is to understand that i'm just a, a, a golf pro and, and they need to dumb it down a little bit so that i understand it so that so that was i think i've lived through an era where like um we had launch monitors It's now like well, wow, now I've got to understand launch monitors and, and then there are people around who can simplify that. So you can get all of that inform- information and come up with a really complicated um, scenario of what's going on or you can have someone who helps you understand exactly what's going on so that you can express something that's complex quite simply To uh, that's, sorry, turn something that's quite complex into something quite simple because then you need to be able to communicate it with a player because at the end of the day, if you hook a player up with 3D or you've got a a track man running or force plates or whatever, the player's just going to go, well, righto, coach, what are we going (laughs) to do? Right, am I right? So so you can have all the information coming in, but ultimately you've got to come up with, with, there's got to be an output from that. And I think for me as a coach, that's been the challenge. I think I went, as I said, I went through a whole thing of going, holy crap, I've got to be an expert in this, this, this and this, and I've got to totally understand it all because I've got to be able to talk to my player about it. And I think I've got to the stage now when there's an emerging technology, I'll call... Uh, so I've, uh, um, the guy I use, Ryan Lumsden, based here in Adelaide, will have a conversation around this new technology coming out. And it's like, what do you think? Is it going to be useful? Yeah. Is it going to be a because coaching result from he's it?
1: He's effectively doing... He's the research guy. He's immersed in the details. And what yeah. you're trying to say is, listen, what do you think about this new concept? And yeah. he'll go and...
2: Well, he's formally educated.
1: Formally and, 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 and then you say, <laughs> okay, now... How can I apply that in the real world? And I think that's the important thing that as golf instruction becomes more data-driven and more um, technology-driven, you have to be able to do something to affect change with the information that you're getting. Yeah, Uh, I agree. Otherwise, you're just getting in. I've always said that I think we're probably now, I think, two generations in of just My worry is that we're just creating generations of data collectors and they're just data mining. And you're like, okay. And they're saying to the student, listen, this is, I've got $100,000 worth of technology. This is what you're doing. The student's going, okay, I didn't know any of it. Now what? Yeah, but this is what you're doing. The technology tells me this is what you're doing. But the student's sitting there going, okay, what the hell do we do now? Yeah. Because anybody can look at the data and say, hey, you're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this. This is what's happening. Okay, now what? And how do I get better as a golfer yep. with all of this information? Correct, and
2: that's and if you look at the best teams around the best players in the world, they're able to to not only um, gather data, but to effectively analyze data, and have a discussion and come up with a way forward. And typically, by the time that's processed, you know, digested, processed, and spat out, it's a fairly simple. Um, piece of information for the player but for example the fellow I spoke about before Ryan Lumsden he's been working on programs that gather data from from different um, technologies and he's able to he's getting the stage where he's filtering down the importance for each player he's in the matrix he's yeah so he's yeah a very clever man and and as I said that's like that's something I could I'm you know, unashamed to say I, I'm not smart enough to do that. But, Neither am I. But as, if I g- dial this right back to the to the VIS, the the, the uh, CEO of the VIS, a great man by the name of Dr. Frank Pike, who sadly passed away a number of years ago, um, when I got the assistant coach position at the Institute of Sports, so Dale Lynch was head coach. I was assistant coach. He came and sat me down and, and he said, look, he said there's only two things you really need to do in this job. He said when you get up in the morning, he said you need to... Um, think about okay well what can i do for my athletes today to help them get better and he said the second thing i'll say is you've got to surround people who are you've got to surround yourself with people who are smarter than you and leave your ego at the door and they're two things that i've um that i've tried to do my whole coaching life and um and uh, I think it served me pretty well. At the time, I, I kind of thought he might have been having a bit, of crack, a bit of a crack at me going, you need to surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. Hey, he might not have thought I was that smart. smart. Yeah, right. So, so anyhow, yeah.
1: Well, I think you're one of, you know, you, Greg, Dave, um, the guys at TPI, you're some of the smartest people I know. And, and um, I don't think you guys get nearly enough credit for from people like us um, because you have fundamentally the work that, certainly the work that you've done, Dennis, in, in junior golf development, um, it when I first was exposed to it, it literally changed everything for me. And it it has shaped everything that I have done since then. So I can't thank you enough. And um, it's great to be down here in Australia to get a chance to spend some time with you. And we could literally do five hours of this and just go straight down the rabbit hole. We'll get together again soon and do it again. But um, congrats on all your success and uh, Mm -hmm. keep doing what you're doing because, you are one of the good ones, and um, you're one of the best in the world at what mm. you do.
2: I, I will, I will say this just in, just as a final comment, or, or yeah, just a final comment, is I've been extremely fortunate in my coaching life to have come across some people who have been just amazing mentors. There's just like you can, I think there's a certain amount in coaching that you dig out of the ground through trial and error. And I've been extremely fortunate from the moment I started coaching, not only to have great mentors from all around the world, but great mentors who are happy to share. And part of that mentoring is being challenged by people around the way you think too, right? Absolutely. And uh, I've been extremely fortunate. And uh, I'd count you amongst those people, Claude, and uh, thanks very much for inviting me to speak. It's been been terrific. Absolutely. We'll see you again soon. All right, buddy.
1: what a cool opportunity um, I had to get to spend some time with Dennis. I hope everybody got a lot out of that. Listen, the way we teach junior golfers today versus the way that they were taught, you know, 15, 20, even 30 years ago, is so dramatically different. And um, when I first met Dennis and, and I saw the work that he was doing with Greg and, and Dave at, at, at TPI and went to their business. Um, junior golf certifications. I think the first one I went to was in Madrid in probably 2009, maybe I think, 2009, 2010. And um, everybody that 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 works with me, that works for me has all gone through the uh, TPI junior development series. We have 180 kids in our junior program in Dubai and, and out of Dubai, small little golf market. But in the last 10, 11 years... I think we've sent 30 kids to play college golf in the United States. Dubai is a big, big city on the world stage, but as a golf market is a very small, small golf market. So for us to find over 30 kids, some of have gone on to play for university of Florida, Ohio state, um, some, uh, excuse me, Oklahoma state, some big, big programs. And, uh, we're really proud of that. And, and it wouldn't be, um, if it wasn't for the work that, that Dennis has done in junior golf development, uh, certainly wouldn't have been able to do the stuff we we did. So thanks for Dennis to talking to us. And um, to me, it was a really, really good one. Junior golf development. If you haven't thought about it in the way that that Dennis talked about it, you definitely should. Um, can't thank everybody enough for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. You guys know the drill. Son of a Butch comes to you every Wednesday. We will see you next week.